If you have your Bibles, if you would turn to Acts chapter 14, uh, as you're doing so, some uh, real quick announcements for you. Don't forget, this is Time Change Sunday. This is the good one where we get an extra hour sleep, and uh, so uh, plan on that. Uh, this Sunday morning, right after the uh, morning service, uh, Brother Trelore needs to meet with anybody that's involved in the music ministry, in the choir, special music, anything like that. Uh, you'll meet upstairs in the teen chapel. It will not be a long meeting, but uh, very important as we're getting ready for the holidays and all of those things, if you could uh, just make a note to, to plan and be a part of that. A week from this Sunday will be our Veterans Day service where we seek to honor uh, the men and women from our church that have served in the military or are currently serving. So I hope you'll be here if you happen to uh, have a neighbor, a relative that, that uh, served in the military. Please invite them to come. We would, we would love to do our best to honor them. Uh, that'll be Sunday, November the 13th to be a part of that. Two opportunities for soul winning this week, Friday at 3.30. We have a large group that goes out along with our teenagers, and then Saturday morning at 10 o'clock. So again, let me encourage you to come and be a part of one, uh, or if you want to, both of those times, uh, and that would be a, a great help and a great blessing. Uh, our teenagers are getting ready for their annual Thanksgiving basket activity. Three weeks from tomorrow is Thanksgiving. It's like the calendar is just flying faster and faster. Uh, there's a box out in the hallway. If you can help out by bringing in some non-perishable items uh, suitable for Thanksgiving dinner and just put it in the box as it fills up, we empty that out. Uh, the cash donations are welcome. Uh, many people do that, and then uh, with that, they buy uh, turkeys and, and anything that is lacking for that. Uh, the last date for collection uh, will be the 16th, which is uh, two weeks from tonight. Uh, so if you can help the teenagers with that, uh, that would be a blessing. And uh, if you have any questions about that, please see Brother Trelore, and he'll be, uh, he'll be certainly help, happy to help you with that. Did we find Acts chapter 14? It's been uh, three or four weeks uh, since we've had our study in the book of Acts. Uh, can we get our map up uh, behind me, if we could, please, uh, so we can sort of follow? In Acts 13, we saw the Lord reach into the church at Antioch and call out two of those men that served there, uh, Barnabas and Paul, and uh, they would become what we now know as missionaries. And they were sent forth by the church at Antioch. Uh, there's no evidence that uh, there was any financial support uh, raised along the way other than what the church sent them off with. And they just followed the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we got our map up here. We know they left Antioch and they went to the island of Cyprus. That is Barnabas' home area. We know that from Acts chapter 4. They made port at Salamis. The Bible doesn't say much about it other than they preached in the synagogue there and they traveled the length of the island down to the city of Paphos, which was at the southern end. The Bible doesn't tell us much about what happened during that time. It's, it's all in one or two verses or so. At Paphos is where they, uh, they met the, the deputy of the, the whole island, deputy governor, a man named Sergius Paulus. And as they're sharing the gospel with him, uh, he had a man's kind of like an advisor type thing, a man named Elymas. 
Uh, Elymas was a Jewish person, but he was a renegade Jew. He was also known, uh, according to the Bible, as a sorcerer. He was a wicked, ungodly man. And as Paul and Barnabas are trying to present the gospel to uh, Sergius Paulus, Elymas withstood them, uh, contradicting everything they said. And Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, just uh, uh, dealt directly with him and said, uh, you're, you're going to be blind for a time. And uh, immediately it happened. Elymas was struck blind and they, they were leading him out of the room uh, and so forth. And Sergius Paulus was so impressed by the power of the Lord in, involved in that, uh, that he received Christ as his savior. From there, they sailed up to this region known as Pamphylia. Very, very rough area. Uh, if you remember from the history that we talked about, the coastline of Pamphylia was known for being raided by pirates. Uh, very few people actually lived along the coastline. It was, it was uh, very, very dangerous. Uh, the, if they didn't ransack your home and try to steal what you have or your business, they would kidnap young men, uh, men of just about any age, force them into piracy. So they are, Paul and Barnabas are entering into very dangerous territory. Not much is uh, talked about about the ministry there, except they landed in the city of Perga, and that is where John Mark quit. Uh, he had gone along to be their servant to help them out. Uh, no reason was given for it, but he left, went back home, and Paul and Barnabas were left alone. They traveled northward through a mountain pass in this region here and ended up in Antioch in Pisidia which was somewhat of a fortified city. It was a Roman colony. It was the seat of power in that area. And in Acts chapter 13, that is where Paul's first recorded sermon is given in detail, uh, preaching first to the Jewish people who responded. Some of them got saved. Um, more Greeks, it appeared, got saved than Jewish people, and the Jews who did not get saved became very, very jealous and, and started an uproar in the city. Uh, and Paul and Barnabas just left and went to the next city, and they went to the town of Iconium. Um, they were there for a while. They preached, and once again, uh, there were some Jewish people got saved. There were some Gentiles got saved. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up a riot in that city, and it was felt best for Paul and Silas to leave, and they just left and went on to the next place. And they ended up in the city of Lystra. Look at verse 8 of chapter 14. There sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb who never had walked. Now, normally when we see Paul and Barnabas go into any city, it almost always makes reference that they went to the synagogue and there they preached the gospel. Remember, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The Jews had the scriptures and that was the logical place to start. But in Lystra, there's no mention of a synagogue ministry. Doesn't mean that they did not do that. It's just that the Lord didn't see fit to talk about it. Instead, he, uh, the Lord zeroes in on this lame man that they met in Lystra. Verse 9, the same heard Paul speak. He's listening uh, to the preaching of, of Paul, who steadfastly beholding him. Paul's watching this man and perceiving that he had faith to be healed. That's a very unusual statement. 
Um, as, as Paul's preaching, he's, he's watching this person. If you've ever stood in front of a group of people, uh, people's expressions, their body language often say an awful lot about them. Uh, when, when you see somebody, when you're teaching or preaching, and they're going, you're pretty sure they're not with you. Okay, I've, I've had people give me sign language in the middle of sermons and it wasn't I love you, uh, that type of thing. Pretty sure that they weren't, they weren't enjoying the message. I've had people, all I've had to do is read a verse and they'll shake their head no violently when I read a verse. Um, uh, we give an awful lot away and I, I suppose I do the same thing when I'm sitting in church. Uh, and I'm sitting maybe down at the summit or whatever, and someone's preaching, if they glance over at me, they can tell whether I'm engaged in the sermon or not. They can tell whether my mind is wandering. They can tell whether I'm sleeping. Uh, I, I'm sure that, that, that my facial expressions, body language gives me away. Uh, as Paul is preaching, he's watching and noticing this man. There was something about him. And the Bible just simply says that Paul perceiving that he, the lame man, had faith to be healed. There must have been something about his expression on his face. Perhaps he was nodding his head in, in agreement. Perhaps he was leaning forward just like a, a sponge soaking everything in, uh, that there was just something about that message was resonating uh, within him uh, and so forth. I'm, I'm not sure what it was. Uh, the Bible doesn't go any, any deeper than this statement that Paul, perceiving that he, this man, had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet. Now remember, we know from other places in the book of Acts that we're only reading a portion of the sermons that were preached uh, a portion of the conversations. We're not, we're not getting all of the details about things. We don't know if Paul called the man by name. Uh, the Bible doesn't say whether he pointed at the guy or not. Uh, but as Paul is preaching the gospel, the word of God, and he sees this man, he just simply says, stand upright on thy feet. Um, I'm going to guess he was looking at him because the man would have been steadfastly looking at Paul. And the Bible says, and he leaped and walked. Uh, this man didn't just stand up. If I were to get down on the floor, it would take me a little while to get up. Leaping would not be the word to describe uh, the motions that I would go through to get up. Now, this guy was born lame in both of his feet. Um, uh, he's an adult man. Everybody in this town of Lystra would have known him just like the guy, the lame man in Acts chapter 3. Okay? Um, and so uh, Paul says, stand up on, uh, upright on thy feet. And the man just jumps straight up. And the Bible says that he started walking. Tremendous miracle, just like that which Peter and John performed through the power of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 3. Verse 11, when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in the speech of Lyconia, that is the region around Lystra. This tells us more than likely this isn't a Jewish audience. Those people would have responded in the Hebrew tongue. Uh, these people are responding in the speech of Lyconia. And another uh, reason we, we don't believe at all that these were Jewish people, they said the gods are come down to us 
in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter. Jupiter is the Roman equivalent of the Greek god Zeus, the, I guess, the father of the gods, the king of the gods type thing. They called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius, or we would say Mercury, because he was the chief speaker. Mercury was the messenger of the gods, according to their ancient beliefs. So we, we gather from this, these are pagan people. These aren't Jewish people now that are watching this. And they have seen a similar miracle that the Jews saw in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 3. But whereas the Jews are glorifying Jehovah God and, and uh, 4,000 uh, Jewish men believed on Christ as a result, these pagan people immediately start, uh, their, their minds are going, they said the gods are come down to us in the form of men and they, they assume Barnabas is Jupiter and, and Paul is Mercury, verse 13. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. Uh, to them, this, this miracle um, was a sign that the gods were there. There is an ancient legend, according to history, uh, that the gods had actually shown up in this, this place called Lystra in ages past, and uh, it, it had been handed down through their history for generations. That's, that's how they perpetrated or perpetuated all of their myths and so forth. Um, and so these people are, are, are thinking, we get to be real live eyewitnesses of the repetition of that miracle. They're about to do sacrifice in honor of Barnabas and Paul. Verse 14, which when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people. Paul and Barnabas weren't, weren't impressed by this. Um, they, they weren't looking for that. They saw this as the worst thing possible that could happen. Um, they, they rent their clothes as a, as a visible symbol of their, their grief and their, their, if you will, outrage over what was going on. And they began, they cried out, verse 15, saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities. Anybody know what the word vanities means? What was it? Emptiness. Um, he, he's attacking their pagan beliefs. What, what you're about to do, you need to turn from this. This is all emptiness. This is hokey. What you're believing is, is all nonsense. Uh, he, is, he is not trying to be politically correct. He is not trying to be diplomatic. Uh, he's coming out in the strongest uh, possible terms to condemn their pagan religion uh, right in front of them. Uh, he said, uh, we are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. So he's, he's letting them know your gods are empty. They are vanities. They are of no value whatsoever. And you need to turn to the living God, the creator. Verse 16, who in time past, in times past, suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Meaning that in the, in the past, God has put up with you doing your own thing. God has patiently endured you 
worshiping all of these vanities, these false gods, these false deities. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. Saying even though God lets you get away with worshiping all this, this falsehood, he showed that, that, that he's real, he's shown you that he's good, and he pointed to the acts of creation saying the creation proves that there is a creator. Keep your place here. Turn to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. The Bible says in verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line, their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the son, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, and his circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. The psalmist clearly de de declares that the creation of God declares that there is a creator. The heavens declare the glory of God. Um, it doesn't matter where you go. He said, you, you can go to the ends of the earth. Everybody looks up in the night sky and they see the handiwork of God. And, and you can't look at the creation and honestly deny that there is a creator. Uh, of course, we live in, in a, a day and age in which the, the altar of, of, the, of the religion of science, uh, they now state that if you believe in creation, if you believe in what is called intelligent design, that you are some kind of a fool. Um, I'm wondering what they have against intelligence, uh, that they don't want to believe in intelligent design. Um, it, I, I'm wearing a watch uh, on my wrist. Do you understand that the presence of a watch means that there's a watchmaker, whether it's digital or the old-fashioned kind? It's it just the way that it is. Uh, the reality is it takes far more faith to believe in evolution, uh, regardless of, of what form that you want to see that it takes, than it takes to believe that there is a God who created everything. Uh, to think that there was once upon a time nothing and it blew up and became everything, that's called science fiction. That is not science uh, and so forth. Uh, in, in my son's science class, they are getting ready to study the, the subject of evolution. And they are watching a debate that took place a number of years ago. How long ago was that? About eight years ago. How many are familiar with Bill Nye, the science guy? Fascinating for little kids to watch, but he is a raging atheist. A raging atheist. There's a debate between uh, Bill Nye, the science guy, and I believe Ken Ham. Uh, and so forth. I think it was moderated by Fox News type thing. And uh, it's, it's just one of the, how many have seen it? It's just awesome watching Ken Ham obliterate this guy. And, you know, Bill Nye is stuttering and stammering because, see, facts are very stubborn things. 
um, and, and so forth. Um, so the Bible teaches uh, all the way through that the, the, the very fact of creation testifies that there is a creator. And it is to that truth that the Apostle Paul is drawing these pagan people back in Acts chapter 14 in the city of Lystra. Uh, verse 18, it says, And with these sayings, scarce restrained they the people that they had not done sacrifice unto them. Now understand, Paul and Barnabas were not only saying, we are not Jupiter and Mercurius. We are not gods who have become men to be with you. He is taking it a step further, saying those beings that you consider to be gods are vanities. They are empty, they are useless, they are, they are non-existent, they are make-believe. They have attacked the religion of these people, the false religion of these people in no uncertain words. So by the time he's done speaking, they no longer see Barnabas and Paul as gods who became men. They see them as men, but they don't like the message they just heard. This gets added to verse 19. There came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium. Remember the ones who didn't like the preaching there. In one place, they became jealous. They were filled with envy because so many of the Greeks, the Gentiles, were getting saved and they couldn't command crowds like that. And so they began their persecution, driving Paul and Barnabas out. They went to the next town, persecution there. They're not satisfied that they got Paul and Barnabas out of their town. They want to make sure they don't get heard anywhere. So it's like they are now following Paul and Barnabas around. They come to Lystra who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Normally when stoning took place, if you understand the history of that time period, the, the person who was being stoned was taken outside the city walls and uh, then they were stoned. Oftentimes, uh, they were made to stand up on like a stone block of some type uh, and so forth so that they were up above the people. It made it an easy target for people in the back rows to be able to see them. Uh, stoning was a brutal affair. Um, it, it, was, it was a horrible, horrible way to die. Some parts of our world, it's still carried out even today. With Paul and Barnabas, and we're not sure why they didn't stone Barnabas, maybe because Paul was the chief speaker, they didn't even drag him out of the city to stone him. They stoned him within the city limits. This was a very vicious attack. It was very violent. Um, it, it was very spur of the moment. Uh, this was the mob mentality taking over. And the Bible says, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city. They dragged his body out of the city to dispose of it. When animals in cities in those days died, they dragged them out of the city to a place like the dump that type of thing, and that's where they threw the bodies of animals that died that weren't to be butchered for food or anything like that. That's what they did with uh, Paul at this point, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit, verse 20, as the disciples stood round about him. Now let's just stop here for the moment. 
there's been a lame man that has been healed. That's the miracle that we saw. Immediately after that, we, we see the people trying to worship uh, Paul and Barnabas sacrifice to them. Paul preaches to them. They turn against him. But in the middle of all of that chaos and turmoil through the preaching that Paul had, apparently some people in that town got saved. There were some disciples there. So it's not just Barnabas is out there, but they're converts. They're gathered round about him. The Bible says he rose up. Now, one of two things is going on. Either he was dead, as they suppose, and God raised him from the dead. Or he was almost dead. He looked dead. He was that badly marred, and God healed him. Either way, it's a pretty cool miracle. Okay? So he's been stoned, and God's raised him up, either raised him from the dead or healed him in such a way he just rises up in front of these disciples. If you are, if you are Paul and the people in that city just stoned you to death, are you going back in town? Anybody? Most of us are shaking our head no. You know, I'm thinking, you know, I'm pretty sure God's done with us here. Let's just move on. But notice, notice verse 20. Um, the Bible says he rose up and came into the city. He walked right back in. And uh, the next day, he departed with Barnabas to Derby. Now, think about this. They just stoned this guy. The Jews in town, they're probably congratulating themselves. We got rid of him. He's silenced. He isn't going to bother anybody else. The pagans, they're probably rejoicing because this man attacked their pagan beliefs. Then all of a sudden, the gate opens and who comes walking through but Paul. And Barnabas is with him. The other disciples are there. Do you see the boldness of this man? By the way, um, if, if the, the reality is if we, any one of us were Paul, we would have full confidence to walk in because if God raises from the dead once, he could do it again. What does he have to fear from these people? God has already shown himself so amazingly powerful. Can you just imagine how quiet everything got the minute this guy walks back into their town? They spent the night there. Nobody's messing with him. Nobody's harassing them. And the next day, they, they departed to a place called Derby, a, a town about 18 miles away. It's sort of an outpost town in that particular region uh, of the world. Verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, gives us the idea. A lot of people got saved in that city. Look at verse 21 again. They returned again to where? These guys are amazing. These guys are absolutely amazing. They're, they're just turning around and they're going to backtrack their missionary journey. They go back to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch. The Bible says, as they did so, look at verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciple. That word confirming means to support further, to reestablish. We're not taught that, uh, a, a certain length of time that they stayed in any one of these cities. Uh, in one of them, we know they spent a long time in this Antioch and Pisidia. They were there for quite some time. 
But that could have been weeks, maybe months. We're not sure about that. Um, So they've come back. These people are newly saved. There's no New Testament written yet. A lot of these people are Greeks. They're not that familiar with the old, what we call the Old Testament scriptures. So they come back through and they're confirming the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith. Don't just start out on this journey. Don't quit. You just keep going on. And then they made this abundantly clear and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. These early believers learned very early on that it wasn't going to be easy to follow Christ. That there was going to be oftentimes a price that needed to be paid. They had seen it in what happened with Paul and Barnabas. The early persecutions uh, here in this particular missionary journey were almost entirely focused on Barnabas and Paul. They weren't bringing in any of these new converts persecuting them. It was just those two men. And Paul and Barnabas are letting them know, look, you need to understand um, persecution is going to be a part of it. Tribulation is going to be a part of the Christian life. He's letting them know that so they don't get discouraged and quit along the way. Keep your place here. Can I get you to go to Matthew chapter 13? Matthew chapter 13. The familiar passage, the parable of the sower. We read about that parable in verse number Uh, The Savior starts it in verses 3 down through verse number 9. But I want to look at his explanation of it starting in verse 18. Matthew chapter 13, verse 18. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word and anon, that means straightway or right away with joy, receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself? He's heard it. It sounds really awesome. He wants to embrace this because after all, who doesn't want to go to heaven someday? That type of thing. But there's no depth to it. There was no reality to this in their lives. It just sounded like a, a, a wonderful thing. Uh, so they've received it, but they have no root. They, they endure for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by, he is offended. The minute there's any cost involved, the minute there's any price to pay, the minute there's any opposition, it might come from friends, might come from family members, co-workers. Uh, automatically, they're offended. That means they just stumble, they quit, they're done. They're, they're, they just walk away from that. Paul is trying to warn his converts in these cities, don't be like that. You, you need to be established in the truth. You need to understand hardships are going to come. But you see, he's got a testimony in front of them that ought to encourage them not to be afraid of any of that. He was stoned and either raised from the dead or healed in such a miraculous way uh, as an encouragement saying, look, 
whatever befalls us, God's in control. God's bigger than this. You need to trust him. So they're confirming all of these people. Verse 23, when they had ordained them elders in every church, their church is getting started. Now their leaders being placed in those church, uh, those churches and had prayed with fasting. Not just prayed over these people, they spent some time fasting. Fasting for God's power and God's protection uh, to rest upon these brand new churches and these brand new converts. They commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Now Paul is going to see a lot of these people again. It'll be a couple years down the road. We'll pick it up uh, about Acts chapter 16 as he goes back for a second missionary journey. But you understand when he leaves these cities of, of, of Derby, then Lystra, then Iconium, then Antioch and Pisidia, they're going to make their way back down to the seacoast. He doesn't know if he'll ever be back. He doesn't know if he'll see any of them again. There's no social media. There's no way to connect with these people. He is really committing them to the Lord and he can only hope and fast and pray that they will stay faithful and that they will serve the Lord. Uh, and time will tell whether that is the truth uh, or not. Verse four, after they had passed throughout Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. They came back down to that region along the coast. When they had preached the word in Perga, that was the first place that they landed. Uh, when they hit the mainland, that's where John Mark left from them. They went down into Atala, that is a place down the seacoast uh, where they could catch a ship. Thence sailed to Antioch, where they started out, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. I have that last phrase highlighted in my Bible. We have seen this word fulfilled over and over again uh, in the book of Acts. Uh, it means to bring to completion. Uh, it means to completely uh, um, uh, finish satisfactorily uh, that which you've been given to do. Uh, to perform habitually, uh, to accomplish entirely. Paul and Barnabas did everything that God had asked them to do. They had fulfilled their ministry. At any moment, it would have been easy to quit. Um, none of this journey has been easy for them. When they started out, I, I'm, I'm sure in their mind, they had no idea what to expect. They were the first to ever attempt to do this. And I know when we set out to serve God. We have big dreams and big hopes. Uh, how many were here Sunday morning when Brother Malucci was preaching in the 11 o'clock hour? And he talked about, you know, when they headed off to Bulgaria, their hopes, their dreams, their plans for things. And, and uh, 17 years later, none of those things came to pass. They, they never saw a great big church established. Uh, they never saw hundreds and hundreds of people saved and baptized like Brother McCullough reported is happening in, in, in parts of Africa where they are going. Uh, they saw a lot of difficulties. Uh, I've been reading their letters for 17 years and I've been reading about the, the, the struggles that they've had. But the important thing about it is in spite of the struggles, they stayed. They didn't go home because it was hard. They stayed. And Paul and Barnabas are doing what God called them to do. They're following the leadership of God. And as they went along, the hardships got worse. They got more and more difficult till finally Paul is stoned either to death 
or to such a state as everybody supposed that he had been dead. The persecution ramped up worse and worse everywhere that they went, yet they didn't quit. They just went on to the next place. And when they were done, and we're not sure if it's the Holy Spirit said, you need to go back home now. We know these were men who were yielded and sensitive to the Holy Spirit. They weren't operating in the flesh by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, at some point, they turned around, and instead of just finding the quickest route home, they went back to all of these places, and almost every one of them is a place where persecution was a part of their lives. But they just went back, confirmed the, the souls and the lives of these brand new converts. And uh, in other words, they fulfilled, they did everything that they were supposed to do. Verse 27, when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. That's what's been happening here for the last three weeks or so, isn't it? Missionaries that we sent out uh, some 17 years ago, some eight or nine years ago, uh, some a year ago, uh, coming back saying, let me tell you what God has done. In many cases, we saw those pictures, those images of individuals uh, that, uh, that are now our brothers and sisters in Christ we're going to see in heaven someday. They're doing this in the church of Antioch, uh, rehearsing in their ears all that God had done for them. Verse 28, and there they abode long time, with the disciples. So again, we're not sure how long they're going to stay in Antioch, uh, sort of an R&R, &R, not exactly a furlough. Not only was that their sending church, that was their only church. Okay, so they didn't have to go back and report all over the uh, country to a lot of places like missionaries uh, do today. But this had to have been a wonderful time for the church at Antioch. Um, I always enjoy it when I see John and Christy Mason come back. I love always when our missionaries come in, but especially them, because they're ours. How many know what I'm saying? I, I'm, I'm not putting down anybody else. It's just they're ours. And we get to see them come back, and it's always good to see them. When Matt and Vonna come back, uh, it's the exact same thing. The reason? They're ours. Uh, you know, they, they sat in these chairs with us. They served here. They worked bus routes, went soul winning and sang in the choir and did all these things. And then God called them out. Uh, it's an exciting time for us as a church to have our own come back and say, can we just share with you what God has done with us? That had to have been wonderful. This was the first time a team of missionaries came back to ascending church and gave their report. This is history in the making. Now it's been a rough go. Lystra, rough place. We know some people got saved there. We know a lame man got healed and Paul got stoned. But uh, we're going we're gonna to do a little bit of a spoiler alert. We're going to skip ahead just a bit. Acts 15, there's going to be a bit of, a, of an interlude and uh, some things are going to take place and we'll start studying that next Wednesday evening. But can I get you to look to Acts chapter 16? Paul is on the second missionary journey. Barnabas is not with him any longer. We've touched on the, the, the conflict that arose between Paul and Barnabas before. We'll review that uh, again within the next week or so. Paul has a new companion, a man by the name of Silas, and Silas will travel with Paul for the rest of his known ministry. 
verse, six, uh, verse 1 of chapter 16. Then came he to Derby and where? Lystra. What happened in Lystra? Got stoned. A lot of bad memories in that place. A lot of opposition in that place. Then came he to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named whom? Timotheus. Remember those disciples that gathered around the body of Paul as he'd been dragged out of the city? They supposed he'd been dead, and it said the disciples gathered round about him. Do you understand that more than likely one of those disciples was a young man, possibly a boy, teenager at the time, named Timotheus. What looked like a failure in the city of Lystra. What looked like just persecution and everything that could go wrong went wrong. In the middle of all of that, God saved a young man named Timotheus. We know him better as Timothy, who would go down in history as one of Paul's closest companions. He would write to the church at Corinth about Timothy. I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. When Paul left the city of Ephesus and the great church that was started there, he left it in the hands of Timothy. He trusted him that much uh, and so forth. You know, there are, if we look at things through human eyes, we can get discouraged quite easily, can we not? Uh, if we would just be patient with the Lord and learn to look through eyes of faith, we can see that God's doing amazing, wonderful things. And uh, I don't know if Paul knew about Timotheus on his first trip. It might have been. It was Timotheus' mom and grandmother that got saved, and he got saved later. We're not sure about that. But imagine Paul's joy as well as his surprise when he comes back to Lystra on his second trip and he's introduced to this young man, Timotheus. The Bible says, the son of a certain woman which was a Jewess and believed, but his father was a Greek. So he was half Jew, half Gentile himself. There's no evidence that his father was saved, but look at verse two, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. So this young man um, from a home where his mom's a Jew that got saved, um, his father's a Greek. We don't know that he ever got saved. But this boy had such an amazing testimony, not just in his own town, but in the town of Iconium, uh, several uh, miles away. And that all started on his first trip there when he got stoned. Don't, don't ever quit on God because God's not going to quit on you. Don't ever assume that your, your attempt to serve God was failure because the story's not done yet. Um, I've told you before, years ago, um, I was out soul winning in, in Jeanette with my nephew, uh, Polly. And uh, it was a hot, hot summer day. And uh, a couple of you have been to Jeanette. I know George was there a number of years ago, and Tim remembers it quite well. Um, Jeanette is built, it's, it, the whole region is like a bowl. And the main part of the town is down in the bottom of that thing. And then the sides are exceptionally steep. And they just build the houses up the hillside. Um, it is amazing, the engineering and building these, these homes around there. 
Paulie and I were in, in one of those neighborhoods uh, knocking on doors one Saturday. It was summertime. It was brutally hot. Uh, Paulie was new uh, to this thing. He's about 13 years of age. He had never gone out soul winning like that before. And I was hoping and praying we were going to have the chance to win somebody to the Lord so Paulie could see that. For that entire Saturday morning, for about two or three hours, we didn't find a single person at home. How many have had a day like that out soul winning? I mean, not a single person at home. Maybe they were and they just didn't answer the door. I have no idea. But we left gospel tracts in all of those doors. And I'm trying to encourage him. You know, it's not always like this, you know. And you never know what God can do with the tract. I'm trying to be really upbeat. And uh, time, time came to an end. I had to get him home because his, his family had some plans and so forth. And we got back in the car. And I was having a hard time being encouraged but I was trying to keep it up for my nephew's sake. And it was just one of those days, just one of those days. A year or so goes by, and one Sunday we had a lady that came to visit our church. Um, she was uh, about 60 years of age, and she visited the church, and when she walked in, she had one of our church tracks in her hand with her. She was carrying it in the door. At that time, we used the track God's Simple Plan of Salvation, a pink and gray track. And she had that in her hand as she walked in. And she, she showed it to me. She said, I've had this for a year now. She said, I came home one Saturday, and this was in my door. And she said, so I looked at it, and I read through it, and I thought, that sounds interesting. And she said, so I've been using it as a bookmark for the last year or so. And she said, it sits at the, the stand beside my recliner. And as I'm reading uh, my book, uh, when I'm done, I put this in there. She said, in the last year, I have driven by your church about once a month or so just to see if y'all were still here. She had lived her entire life in that town. She'd seen a lot of churches come and go. She said, I just wanted to see if you're all here. She said, well, the year has gone by and, and, and you're still here. And I thought, you know, I, I probably got to go and visit that church and find out what it's all about. I said, where do you live? And she gave me her street address. And it was the street that my nephew and I had knocked on that Saturday. Nobody was home. Nobody answered the door. And we just left tracks. And we were both a tad discouraged as well as hot and tired. Long story short, the lady got saved, the lady got baptized, and it, it was an incredible thing for me to say, hey, Polly, remember that Saturday? He said, yeah, how could I forget that? I said, see that lady right there? She got a tract in her door that day. We left that for her, and Polly was excited to realize that a year later, a lady got saved. Don't ever discount what you do for God, because God might be doing things that you can't see and may not see for a long time to come. As Paul and Barnabas traveled, they suffered, but they persevered. And I like the fact that they fulfilled the ministry God called them to. Let's walk in their footsteps. Let's follow that example. We need to stop there.